0: I look to my faith to strengthen me, because in many circles, I am alone. I mean, I am the only one that looks like me. and um, in recognizing that and fighting those battles, I recognize that in the children that I serve. I almost see my little self in them, um and so just come to the aid in whatever i in whatever way I can.. I'll-
1: Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Sylvia owusu ansa Associate Professor of Paediatrics and Emergency Medicine and Associate Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. We discuss the key benefits that diversity brings to healthcare and she shares the strategies and innovative approaches to create a more diverse and inclusive working environment as always before jumping into the video make sure to hit that subscribe button turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode that being said let's jump in hi sylvia <laughs> Hi Natasha how are you? I'm great thank you thanks so much
0: for joining me today. Well thanks for having me I was so looking forward to this opportunity so I'm really excited to be here today.
1: Yeah totally so tell us a little bit more about yourself and where you are in your journey today.
0: Yes, so I'm gonna try to streamline uh, this. I was born in the US of A in the United States in Boston, Massachusetts, but kind of grew up all over the place, um, including uh, several states like uh, Kentucky. Um, And then in the early 90s, my father worked for the World health organization and was the advisor to the health minister um, in Namibia, Southwest Africa, which became its own democratic um, country. early 90s and so in the height of uh, my adolescence I moved to southern Africa Um, so Namibia is just north of South Africa for those who aren't familiar and just south of Angola and um, to the west of Botswana Um, and it's mostly made of desert so I had a wonderful experience there at the international school but I was also made very aware of what apartheid was and what it looked like Um, I got to experience it firsthand Um, I also got to experience the joy of Nelson Mandela becoming the first Black head of state for South Africa because I was in Cape Town uh, during that time uh, and during that celebration. So, uh, And looking back, very appreciative for that. Came back to the United States, to Boston to finish out high school, and then started my journey towards medical school. So did uh, college in upstate New York um, and did my medical school at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. And then spent most of my training time in the Washington, DC area, where I learned to become a pediatrician, a pediatric emergency medicine physician, as well as an emergency medical services physician. So that is a mouthful. Um, But in essence, what I learned to do was take care of kids at their sickest moments, both inside and outside of the hospital. Um, And then I got my big girl job in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania where I am currently now, where I work as a pediatric uh, attending in the emergency department, and I'm also the EMS medical director uh, for the Children's Hospital, as well as the associate vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is probably part of the reason why um, I'm on this podcast and excited to talk about what I do.
1: Yes, yes, I'm so excited for that. So um, it's Sounds like a very, very extraordinary and colourful journey that you've been on, and I'm really excited to hear what your personal experiences and your life experiences how that has impacted the current work that you're doing um, now. Because we do know that with diversity, equity, inclusion, it's so important that we bring our lived experiences into the work that we currently do. Because I do think it does impact. how well we are going to succeed in this um, because it's important that we kind of tell our stories, especially if we're sitting in a position of really that we've lived them, right? So the, the everything that we're fighting for, like many of us and, and probably yourself as well, has, have, has been through it in some way, shape or form. We have been subjected to uh, microaggressions. We have felt excluded. Um, we have felt like passed over um, because of what we look like not necessarily because of this, our skills and how we can contribute. Um, so how do you personally define diversity, equity and inclusion?
0: Well, so we, um, interestingly enough, um, what you're talking about, we had a pediatric round round and I presented at that my life experience. And um, we have had another word to the EDI, which is J for justice. So justice, equity, inclusion, which ends up being a Jedi. So for those of you Star Wars fan, it's I a pretty it. cool title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um what does it mean to me? You know, when I think about diversity, when we think about diversity, where I think about diversity, it's not just the black and white, right? Because we are more than our color and more than our race. Um and 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 we can get into I don't want to get into nuances of race and, and the fact that those are made up social constructs and things of that nature um, but i think diversity is everything of what makes us of who we are meaning where we come from the fact that you know natasha's in in um england and i'm in the united states and our experiences may be different in that way um it may be that my parents were west african immigrants it may be that i lived in a rural environment or urban environment or my education experiences or my friendships or relationships i think experiencing all those things and, and enjoying the experiences of others and being open to those experiences of others and what makes them who they are. I think that is truly diversity um, in the way of gender in the way of age and the way of, you know, what your ancestry is. Um, and inclusion is something I think we take lightly, but you know, what I recognize is that in circles, diverse circles, some people think that inclusion means tolerance, right? And tolerance is to say that I'm okay with you being here. It's all right that you're being here, but I'm not going to go out of my way to make you feel like one of us. Like, you know, Um, and, and I think a lot of times we talk about inclusion, but what we're dealing with is tolerance. And inclusion is really saying, come into the fold, you know, come join us at this you know get together come listen in on what we're saying come find out about this you know for instance you know african americans or blacks throughout the globe you know financial awareness and education for us we have less access to those things you know come meet with me at the golf course and let's talk about investments you know bringing folks truly into the fold not just checking the box and saying it's okay that you're here. I tolerate that you're here. It's, you know, it's good that you're here because you're the Black person representing the diversity in our space. But no, I want you to be here and I want you to be a part of what we're being. I want to be a part of what what you're a part of as well. I think that's true inclusion. And then equity, we've all seen those depictions of uh, the, uh, the people standing on the uneven boxes watching a game. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, you know, making sure it's not that the, all the boxes are the same size because depending on your height, if the boxes are the same size, you still may not be able to watch the game per se, but that the box is to the level that you need to be your best self. Um, and that is truly equity. And justice is, is is making that happen. It is bringing all those things and putting it into action. Um, and so that's how I see, that's how I see Jedi.
1: And why do you feel that it's essential that, we have Jedi and we're focusing on it in terms of healthcare.
0: So, there, there's so much evidence to show that, you know, if we want, want to just talk about race and ethnicity, there's so much to racial concordance, meaning that if you have a, a physician or a healthcare provider that's of a similar background as you, particularly of the same race, you're more likely to have better healthcare outcomes. You're more likely to be open. There's more likely to be an inclusion there, a relationship. We could say the same for language. Uh, you could say the same for religion. Um, and so I think it's it's so critical that we don't, you know, build our health healthcare system off of diversity to check off some box, but because it actually benefits our patients. There's actually data to show that that our patients do better when there's racial concordance, meaning when they have physicians that look like them. And that comes to gender as well. Uh, there's literature to show that um, women surgeons have better overall outcomes, um, than male surgeons when it comes to gender relations. So I think diversity improves healthcare outcomes and data has shown that over and over and over again in, in numerous spaces. Um, I will start by saying, you know, I'm a person of faith. I have a strong belief in, in, um, Jesus Christ. And, um, I, I look to my faith to strengthen me because in many circles I am alone. I mean, I am the only one that looks like me and, um, and recognizing that and fighting those battles, I recognize that in the children that I serve. I almost see my little self in them. Um, and so just come to the aid in whatever, I, in whatever way I can. I'll give you an example. You know, stories are powerful. We had this young sickle cell um, Black female come into our emergency department. She does have a history of, you know, mental illness. It still shouldn't matter in that way, but she has a history of mental illness and may in some ways have had previous histories of aggression towards healthcare providers. She comes in and she's in pain crisis. I mean, she's, uh, meaning that her, her blood is kind of getting stuck within the bones, causing severe bone pain. Um, you know, as physicians, we've been noted or told that bone pain is some of the worst pain a human being can experience, um, on various levels of pain, just to give people an idea. um, and when I walked into the room and and this this young lady was probably not even close to um you know a hundred pounds or probably less than about about 40 kilos or so. I, she was very, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't very heavy um or you know, seemed to have a lot of strength. Uh and when I walked into the room, she had four point restraints on her. Um, and I was told that she was kicking and biting the EMS providers and kicking and biting security guards. But what I saw was a scared little girl. Um, and what was starkly remarkable was that she and I were the only person of color in the room. Um and you know, and we know the history when it comes to, you know, violence and, you know, black folks globally when it comes to police interactions or authority interactions, um, and when we focus less on de-escalation processes and more on, you know, more aggressive processes. And that's what I thought was happening. I thought this girl wasn't given a chance or an opportunity. Um, and, and she didn't have an advocate in the room. And so, yeah, I went to full mom mode, and I told everybody to get out, including the police officers. So get her off of the restraints and leave the room. Before then, though, I got down on my knees and I told her she was, you know, she was uh, visibly upset Um, and, you know, raising her voice in the room and and at everybody that was around her. And, you know, we had this moment where I said, just look at me. Just look at Dr. O. Um, It's just me and you in the room right now. was. I told her I'm your advocate. I am here for you with all the other people in the room, all the 20 people in the room. I said, it's just me and you. I got down on my knees. I got to her level of the bed, got into eye contact with her. I said, but what I need you to do is I need you just to relax and I need you to trust me. And then I turned to the rest of the room and I said, you need to take her out of restraints. Of course, there was the reverberage of, well, she did this and she did that. I said, I don't care. She's not doing that right now. You're going to take her out of restraints right now. Um, And then we took her out of restraints I kicked everybody out of the room. I did my doctor thing to find out what brought her in. She was in pain crisis and here she is in four point restraints and pain crisis. I get that there may have been a history before. It doesn't account for what happened in that room. I actually had a nurse tell me because I, one of the things that really set me off is a security guard had his hand around her neck like this. And I had the nurse tell me, had the nerve to tell me that she was checking his pulse. Her She was, he was checking her pulse, excuse me. And I'm like, that's so wrong on so many levels. First of all, you don't check your pulse. Like, right. Like, we all know. Like, the only person that's going to check, if she's aggressive, how are you? Why are you checking the pulse? Right. Like, if she's actively flailing around.
1: Yeah. We know that she's she's alive. She's okay.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. She's okay. So, you know, I got her settled in and I walked out of the room. And I work in a pretty homogeneous environment when it comes to race and ethnicity. And I was in tears. Yeah. And I had nobody to talk to, to relieve the stress. I was in tears for her. Mostly I was in tears for myself. And then I even almost found myself apologetic. And I'm like, this is so backwards. Like the imposter syndrome just flooded in of like, like somehow what I did was wrong, knowing what I did was right. Right. But how dare you show, you know, to your point, like, how dare you show your emotions here? in this place you know like all that stuff was rattling through my mind mm. and you know I had a whole shift left to do like I had to get on with it I couldn't you know I couldn't you know go in the corner and but I literally came out of the room and tears were
1: streaming down my face and I need to quickly do this yeah, thing and I go know, to the nurse's I, station I, and I, I totally I mean like I'm so 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 glad that you were there um and that that she had you there to help and advocate for her um, and I think it just it, it's, it's such a powerful story. Um, and it goes to show the importance that on the, of diversity in in healthcare, having somebody that can relate to where you're coming from and give you that opportunity, give you that benefit of the doubt in your most vulnerable, most scared moments that you probably will ever come across in your life. Um and yeah, I I I I commend you, and I think it's absolutely a hundred percent, a hundred and fifty percent okay that you cried because that's real emotion, and it shows that actually this was, this was a lot, um. And I think we say about leaders all the time that they need to not be scared to be able to show their vulnerabilities, and it's not something that should be seen as um as a pitfall or as, as a negative upon them, um. But yeah, I I I mean a credit to you like it's that's that's fantastic no
0: thank you um actually it's I, I so in doing the grand rounds i did yesterday um part of my frustration is i do have all these stories right we all have all these stories but how you know thanks to people like you and thanks to the media we're able to get these stories out to the masses right um and so that was my talk yesterday basically and so i do have a short film um, that's just here. It's local, uh, called in good hands. And I showed a rough cut of that. And basically what that film shows is multiple interactions that I've had over the years that we were able to put together in one shift, we made it seem like one shift worth of incidences with overt racism yeah. and microaggression and, you know, trying to stand up for, you know, advocating for your patient all rolled into one. And so, um, I decided to kind of use that. I started writing a book but during COVID, but wasn't able to finish because of my full-time job as a physician, but was able to translate some of that with a brilliant um, screenwriter by the name of Yasmin Crowley, who's now with CBS and Paramount doing great work. Um, and thanks to Carl Kurlander, who was kind of the producer who led on that, it was a um, it was through the Pitt Film School, University of Pittsburgh Film School, were able to put together a short film that told that story. And we shared that yesterday. And, um, you know, it was overwhelming to see how many people were like, I didn't realize that this stuff happens. Yeah. Um, and, and so this, you know, to credit to you, this is the power of media because, you know, we live these lives each and every day, but without being able to tell the story, um, we can't change,
1: we can't change our environment either. Yeah. Like if we can't share the stories, and we can't change the environment. No, you you can't. And and I'm I'm so glad and and thank you so much for for sharing that story with our listeners and and with myself. Um, what are kind of the, some of the key actions, key steps that need to be taken in order to try and avoid those sorts of situations ever happening again?
0: Yeah, so I think that the key thing is the you know, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. You know, what I is as associate vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion. One one of the things we focus on is, first of all, our numbers are low, right? Like there's not enough in the way of diversity to then have more advocates, as as we spoke about. And so you want to be able to bring those people in. We've been pretty successful over the past couple of years during the pandemic of convincing folks of, hey, you need to come. I led in a, again, financial uh, wellness is a big thing of mine. Um, I led in securing $25 million towards um, loan repayment for those of our faculty who either work in the area of JEDI, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, or... Or of that um, group themselves. Um, And so each person gets $75,000 towards loan repayment. And I was able to lead in that. So those are some of the things to kind of curb off. So that will attract people to come, right? And some of those measures may bring people in. Um, You know, also we have uh, underrepresented in minority or, you know, people of color brunches for trainees that are coming um and so we we have safe spaces for folks of color or folks of various backgrounds to meet on a regular basis so again that's all good to bring people in but then how do you keep people and i think that's the bigger issue and the bigger question and the hardest hardest thing to do is to change the environment yeah um you know it, it's really about changing that environment it's really about you know you want it to be a place that if i wasn't in the room there would still be an advocate you know that's where you want your institution to be you want um you want allies true allies that can stand up um, no matter what the color or let's say is a, is a language barrier you want somebody who's going to take the time to find the right interpreter to make the family feel comfortable um to be able to express uh, their healthcare needs in the best way that they know how right um and so changing the environment is a little bit tricky, but it starts with bringing the people in. And once you bring the people in, creating an inclusive environment, like, like I said before, one of the things I do is very small, but just I just throw together these little get-togethers at my house, away from work, where you know everybody that I can think of that I've met, um, especially trainees of color, faculty members of color, you know, we make up reasons to get together, and I know that that has helped a lot of our trainees that have come through. and And as they have left, they've been very grateful. And they've left my number behind. Of like, yeah, this is the like talk to you to you know, um, letting them know you know, simple things like for African you know for Black women like us, like where do you get your hair done? These are vital things for us. It seems yeah.
1: benign. Yeah, I mean, where like, do you- especially do you've got. When- into a new state or if you move to a new area which some of your trainees may well have have done and 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 are now living somewhere new or surrounded by new people like yeah that's as a as a black woman i know we recently moved house and that was literally one of the first things that i was thinking about was i needed to relax my hair and i was like where's the hair shop here because we'd moved from south london to kent which (laughs) if if, if, which is basically very much of a suburb area and there isn't there and from London it's it's very multicultural so I had options I had a lot to choose from (laughs) but um now yeah like I it's definitely top of mind so it's it seems quite a simple thing but it means so much to be able to build have a friendship or a network of people that of like-minded and um people that you can relate to in a new place yeah and I think that's key and bringing bringing people in bringing people
0: in right away you know, um, and and making con- helping to make networking connections for them. Like you said, you know, either the hair, the food or things to do within the city. You know, if they're Afro-Caribbean festivals or, you know, different types of um, performances like we had Hamilton come. You know, I mean, Pittsburgh, is, it's it's quite small, but a lot of things come through here. Uh, concert venues, I mean, things like that, just letting people know so they can take that load off of their shoulders um and, and just be able to be themselves mm.
1: and I know you do a lot of um community work uh community engagement and, and a lot to with uh, the younger generation as well so I'm interested to hear from you how how is that how's that work if you could just sp- explain a little bit more to our listeners um what you're up to there because it it's really important I think
0: Yeah, so we, at the height of COVID, um, and it's interesting because I started what's a middle school pathway program, Um, so I guess, you know, secondary school pathway program, you could call it, um, for underserved children in a school in our neighborhood. So it started by uh, my boss, the chair of the Department of Pediatrics, Dr. Terrence Dermody, and um, at the time, the head of adolescent medicine at my children's hospital, Dr. Elizabeth Miller, um, picked a few of us to lead in doing more for our community. And they didn't say what, <laughs> they were just like, we want to be more than just a children's hospital. We want don't want the children to come to us sick. We know you guys do this community work and you do it well. Find us a com- something that we could do where we bring the hospital to the community. We bring our wealth, our resources, our um, talents to the community. And so we found out that the middle school, which is sixth to eighth grade in in the U.S., um, so that's about from, you know, 11 to Mm 14-year-olds about that age, um, that the school that was in our neighborhood had the most underserved students, was one of the most diverse schools in even the state. Um, It's considered an English as a second language school, so the school Has a lot of immigrant students, refugee students who speak multiple languages come from anywhere from Somalia to Afghanistan to Uzbekistan uh, to Guatemala. Um, And so we thought this is perfect. So then we made a connection with the school leadership and they were all about it. And we reassured them that we wanted this to be a holistic program. So the idea, the program's called Career Health Advancement uh, and Achievement Mentorship Program. And we made it broad because we wanted we wanted to be able to eventually establish it throughout the entire school system or the school district, if possible. Uh, and the idea is to create this holistic environment of not just, OK, we're the doctors and we'll expose you to the diversity of doctors and then introduce you to healthcare. But what we recognize is the hospital is a model of every single career. You have every single career represented in the hospital, except for a firefighter so you have a police officer, you have a cook, you have an accountant, you have media people in addition to having a doctor, nurse, respiratory therapist, physician's assistant. So every every type of career that you could think of is represented in the hospital. And initially we came in thinking, okay, we want to make many pediatricians because we need more diverse pediatricians in our pipeline. Um but then recognizing, for instance, my 15-year-old doesn't want anything to do with blood. You know, recognize <laughs> I want me to tell any of my hospital stories. (laughs) So recognizing that we might leave some kids out Mm -hmm. and we don't want to do, we didn't want to do that. Um, And so what we decided to do is we, you know, what we do well is programs related to science. During the height of the pandemic, lots of kids were home. And the problem there is that when you're doing science projects, a lot of these underserved children or underprivileged children did not have their science materials with them yeah so what we did is we created a box we called it a stem box science technology uh, engineering and math and we sent their materials to them so they could participate in class to every single student we also noted that from a wellness standpoint that they would have masks that they've had for an entire year that weren't washed or you know hygiene with This age group was already a problem, but it was even more so a problem during COVID as parents were struggling to keep up. Mm -hmm. So we put together wellness packages and we sent them home with soaps and detergents. But not only that, we taught around that. So as middle school students, we taught around hygiene. How do you take care of yourself on a low budget? If you were to go to Walmart with $5 for your skin type and your type of hair, what should you buy? You know, Vaseline versus Ucerin or... Um, you know, if you have tight curls versus straight hair, what's the best type of shampoo for you at a budget? So we built a curriculum around that, the the wellness packages that they sent them. And then we've kind of built upon that since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we have a human body curriculum um, class where we have a diverse, we have a, we have a black cardiologist come and talk to them about cardiology. We have a black female um, orthopedic surgeon come talk to them about their bones and their muscles. Um, and we've engaged with the Latino community and our strong, powerful uh, doctors in the Latino community. And they have come to talk to the Latino students um, in Spanish and English. And it's beautiful. And we've, we've done taught CPR and stop the bleed and use interpreters for anywhere from Spanish to Russian to French. Um, so it went from kind of an exposed to healthcare kind of program yes. and increase the healthcare pipeline to a holistic, we just want to take care of the kids in our neighborhood. And where do kids spend most of their time? School. So what, what better way to provide preventive healthcare measures? What better way to enhance their science, uh, enhance their STEM and what better ways to bridge the gap? Like I tell them, I don't want to see you in the emergency room. I want you to know Dr. O here at your school. And let's have a good time. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to have that interaction with you in the waiting in, in sorry, in the waiting room or in the emergency department. I want to build this relationship outside of that and so that you can know me and get to trust me and know that we're here for you. Um, because a lot of these kids don't have people that are there for them at home.
1: Mm. Oh, so so lovely. And what what have you learned through throughout this so far, like that that surprised you? Um I think that
0: the kids, they really, they really do care. Um, you know, a, a lot of times with youth, um, we kind of put them off and even if myself, even as a pediatrician and, and teenagers as they're, you know, they're not, they don't care. It's not worth going to these schools. You know, they're into their phones and TikTok, tock yeah. and they could care less or the potential is not there. Like we had a black history trivia. And these kids worked so hard. They were so competitive during the trivia game. We made it like a Jeopardy game and we had different teams, different grades versus each other. And the amount of work that they put in, I was blown. I myself was blown away um, by the amount of work that they put in and, and just recognizing that if they have people there to just, just to be there um, and to encourage them, you know, the potential is there for everybody. You might, I mean, I have that belief in my life and in, in my heart that everybody has the potential that nobody's here by mistake, that everybody has the potential to do great things and be the best person that they can be. But I feel like kids really show that, yeah. you know, um, and it, it's such a, it's such a fresh and blank blueprint that you could make it, you know, the nicest house with the best foundation or they could just crumble apart on sand, you know? Um, And and so but when you are able to do that, it's just, it it means the world. I mean, we we took them for graduation. We took them to a baseball game. Many of them have never been there. I thought they'd be bored and on their phones. They were engaged and they were asking questions and they were grateful that we took them, you know? So um, just even if you're able to impact one life, you know, because as a child, hopefully there's decades more to go. And then that impacts, you know, builds upon that impact over those decades of their life. Right. Um, And so I I think it was in summary, I think is more rewarding than I thought it was going to be in the way of of the kids. And we do a lot of CPR with them. We do CPR once a year. So every time we come in the room, they kind of put their hands up like, oh, here come the CPR people, which is great because (laughs) No, that's They different. can save a life.
1: Yeah, no, definitely 100% that's so true. So, um are there any books or resources um or even organizations that have helped you along your journey um to advancing diversity, equity, inclusion?
0: Um yes, I pull a lot from the American Academy of Pediatrics um and I have I have a wealth of physicians who've been doing the work like for instance Dr. Tiffany Johnson uh, who's out at UC Davis has been doing this research forever and uh, Dr. Joseph Wright. And so, you know, a lot of the literature that they put out or a lot of the expertise that they have. I mean, that's kind of what I, what I look to, um, you know, myriads of things like Abraham Kendi um, and his work. Um, but I think collectively, I'm just one of those people that just, you just go out and do does the work you know um and then i learn from doing the work really to be honest with you i learn from the community i learn from the people they make me better and they they help us to figure out what's best for them really um cuz you can read a lot of the books and do read a lot of the evidence but for your particular community or your particular area that might not be the best for for them
1: yeah i mean i um, think you can only you can only read so much before you need to start taking some action right and then learning mm-hmm. from from those actions that you've taken and some sure. may, some may may work out really well and others may not but actually if it doesn't that's still also a learning opportunity for you as well um so i i, I love that actually that you answered <laughs> you answered that question in that way because i think it is important to highlight that education is great and and Kind of keeping yourself updated on on what's happening and and broadening your own knowledge um in this space is is important um and that shouldn't stop i think continuous learning is important but actually making sure that you're not kind of stuck in the book the whole time right and you're you're kind of i think you don't actually end up taking any action i feel like you end up reading so much that you then go down the rabbit hole and you forget actually hold on a second like actually now need to do something <laughs>
0: no i mean
1: and that's what i live by
0: um we right now one of my biggest community initiatives is teaching CPR. We've taught supervised and teaching over, I mean, close to 300 people throughout the community from, you know, um, five-year-olds to 90-year-olds CPR. And that's one of the things is we know the American Heart Association states that, you know, communities of color are the least likely to receive bystander CPR. Like, so we know the data. So, then we go out the community and we teach the, our people how to do CPR, you know, like at some point you got to do the work. And so and so that's what I say over and over again of like, OK, we know the outcomes are abysmal in this regard. So let's just
1: go out and change those outcomes. Hmm. Oh, Sylvia, I've, I've so much enjoyed our conversation today. It's been fantastic. Um, before you you do part ways and um, you leave us, I'd love to hear uh, one piece of parting advice that you have for all of those leaders out there that are trying to advance DEI where they are? Um, you
0: know, it, it may sound cliche, but um, you got to believe in who you are. You got to, you know, we've we've heard these things before, but it's so true. Recognize the quality, um, the potential um, and the excellence of, of who you are. And then just go out and do the work and and block out the noise um, because there's always there's always going to be noise and there's always going to be barriers and there's always going to be people that tell you no but if you know what you're about and you know your passion and you go for it um we'll get the job done together
1: oh lovely well oh, thanks again and for those that are listening if they want to reach out to you and connect how can they do that so my
0: instagram handle is at m as in mary d as in dog owusu o w u s u um they can also email
1: me at owusu md7 at gmail i will be linking um all those details below as well the episode so if anyone wants to reach out to you they definitely can do that following those links below um once again thank you so much for for tuning in and thank you so much for listening and sharing your insights. well natasha thank you so much for
0: reaching out to me i'm so excited about this i hope this is not the last time that we Oh, connect no, I, always appreciate the, no, I always no. appreciate
1: the opportunity no no yeah. i think the work that you're doing is absolutely fantastic and it's it's so important it's it's literally life or death right so um i think it's it's amazing and i appreciate you so much and um yeah we're, we're definitely gonna stay in touch 100 <laughs> percent.
0: yeah and thank you because like i said without the media allowing us in various uh forms to tell our story we can't change lives so thank you for allowing me to share my story uh, with your podcast.